Right, Harry, did you see that ludicrous display last night? The shout for handball. He's in, clearly. And he tee up someone in red. In he goes to one. It's a one-trap pass! What about that? Welcome back to the All Nations Football Podcast with myself, Joseph, and my very good friend, Hello, everyone. I'm really happy to be back. Uh, how's your week been, fella? Apart from scanning your face right now? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. I um, I got my car fixed today. Got its service um, and stuff, so that was exciting. Um, but, yeah, pretty chilled so far. It's only Tuesday, of course. I actually have to have my MOT this month as well, or this week, I should say. And... Uh, as much as it passed, it was still very costly. So, as anyone I know, fuck having a car. Um, and the other one, as a double whammy, I should be in Paris tonight. I should have been going to Paris for a few days with my missus for her, uh, her birthday. And that didn't transpire either. So, these things happen. I'm sure other people, some of the listeners maybe have been in a similar circumstance. But, yeah, always shit you when you feel like you should be on holiday and you're stuck at home. But never mind. Let's brighten the mood. Let's brighten the mood. Let's talk about some football instead. Um, we're going to cover our usual business this week. Um, we've had uh, the Premier League again, obviously. Uh, the Manchester clubs back in action this week, um, and obviously lots to talk about in Scotland. But we'll we'll start with the uh, the Premier League, and uh, let's have a little look through the the, the fixture, shall we, and see what what we had. Obviously on on Saturday. Uh, what kickstarted was uh, was Everton and West Brom. Um, didn't catch that game because I was watching my beloved Cardiff um, play at the same time. But Everton uh, had a stormer by all accounts. Anyway, I've obviously seen the highlights on match of the day, but obviously you know it's never quite the same as watching the full game. Uh, but yeah, big five two win for their uh, for them against West Brom. Yeah, no, it was a phenomenal result. Um, they went one 0 down after ten minutes and. Um... I had Everton to win and I thought they would win comfortably. So when they went one down, I was a bit surprised. Um, as you say, I was also watching Cardiff play. But um, Calvert-Lewin, I was told by an Everton fan um, before the season started to look out for him. And I can see why, because what a cracker. To get a hat-trick this early on in the season, his first ever career hat-trick as well. Um, and it was a ever entertaining game. Um, Kieran Gibbs' red card was... Um, Joy to behold, really. Um, he just completely lost his head and smacked um, Hamas Rodriguez. Yeah, you said you said about Calvert Lewin there as well. Um, he's a player that I watched quite a bit last season, and he does stand out. He's not. Um, he's no frills. He's that kind of player, and he works really hard. He's very good in the box, really good in the air as well. Um, he's played well in all of the, the derbies against Liverpool and he, he's already got a derby goal as well. Um, but yeah, he, he's definitely somebody to look out for and I think he, he Ancelotti quite likes him, doesn't he? Obviously, he's got uh, Moise Keane there as well, but he's always gone for him and I think he's he's going to be Everton's main man for the middle uh, up front for the entire season. So he's definitely one to look out for. Um, you've been impressed by James's start? Yeah, well, interesting, like, I like Hamas Rodriguez. I think, um, I think he's just skillful. He's just he's just a natural footballer, but he doesn't move a lot, does he? Um, apparently, he didn't actually sprint once during the whole ninety minutes against West Brom, which I thought was a great start in itself. But he scored a goal. He um, he noised up giving Kieran Gibbs enough that he got him sent off as well. So. You know, he's definitely had an impact this early on in his um, Everton career. Um, he's probably not fully match fit. It's maybe going to take him five, six games to get completely up to speed. Um, but yeah, so far, he looks like he could be a really good signing, which I guess we all kind of thought that anyway. But we were just a bit wary because he's, he's had so many injuries. What What's your kind of take on him yeah, generally? I, yeah, exactly the same. But I think... Uh, the novelty of having those sort of players in your side wears off everything, uh, particularly when you end up having a, a game where you're expected to run and work really hard and you might not have a lot of the ball. If you think of Mesut Ozil at Arsenal, um, you know, he is a great player. He's a great, great passer of the ball, great in the final third. Um, and he's a great final ball, but... 
he has nothing else to his game and he hasn't been playing properly in the league cross for, for, for how long now and yeah, James is very similar mold. Plays in the ten role, doesn't do a lot of running. Likes everything into feet and people to be moving around him. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, when he's when he's got to play in a game where he's expected to do a lot of running and he plays against the team with uh, an abundance of energy. Because you know, there's a lot of teams in the league who've got a very big uh, you know running game and and fitness and the intensity is a massive part of how they play. It's not all about technical ability and. Um, one of those sides, I guess, is Leeds, who we should mention next. They got a 4-3 win against Fulham. And uh, talk about teams with bags of energy and, uh, and and determination and, you know, physicality. Leeds have got it in abundance as well as, as a little bit of technical quality in there. And uh, again, blew Fulham away in parts of that game. But Fulham came back with uh, two two late goals to to give make a nervy end into the game. I watched the entire game and um, for two promoted sides, they put on a hell of a show. I felt like this was the Leeds that I said um, I said before the season started that maybe maybe they'd concede too many. It's two games in and they've conceded seven, but they've also scored seven. So you know, it's hard to really say. How how they're going to go this season, but they're definitely going to be entertaining. That is for sure. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you though is pa- Patrick Bamford. Um, is he good enough for this level? I know he's got two goals in two games, but w- one was one was against Fulham. Who, to be honest with you, at the moment looked like they could go straight back down. Um, well, the first thing, um, well, to to answer your question, firstly about Patrick Bamford. No, I don't think he's necessarily good enough for the Premier League, but uh, what he does offer you is bags of energy. He runs the lines and he continues to you know, make those unselfish runs in behind and out wide. He drags defences apart and you know, it allows the other players to come into play. And he's, he scored in both of his games, so... You know that could be a bit premature. It's premature to say that he's not he's not good enough to do it at this level, and he's scored in both of his games, as I said. So I think it would be unfair to say that at the moment. But certainly on paper, no, you wouldn't say that he's strong enough. The second thing you touched on there was it was about their defence. I have to completely agree with you there. I think you have to remember that they have shipped seven goals in two games, and the way that they play, as as hard as they work. Um, there is so much space in front of the back four and they play with a, a designated defensive midfielder as well. And I think Calvin Phillips is a very good player technically, but I don't know necessarily if he's good enough to protect a back four in the Premier League. He's very good on the ball. He can he can spray a pass. He keeps the you know the, the, the play ticking over for Leeds. But I don't see him doing a lot of ball winning and nitty gritty work yeah to to you know and putting a foot in and doing that sort of stuff and I think every time Leeds back four have been exposed they've been in a lot of trouble and um it was it was actually Bobby Rees who gave him a lot of problems in that sort of space for Fulham when, when he came on um and, and yeah I just thought they struggled a lot and obviously against Liverpool they were all right out wide but the amount of times that you know Liverpool got in through the middle and, and put it you know the played the triangles around the box Leeds just couldn't cope with this so I think you know they really need to sort that the, the defensive option out and again just I suppose the, the positives for them is like you said they've scored seven goals so you know the the attack is, is looking crisp but to come into the Premier League as a promoted side and trying to outscore your, your opponent every week is not a valid uh, option I, I, I don't think but um, they got their three points it was very entertaining and as far as Fulham are concerned, I do think they're going to struggle again next season. They were very spirited. Um, I, I think that was more, you know, like I think I was listening to Scotty Parker speak after the game, and you can see he's a. He, I think he's going to be a very, very good manager. He's very tuned into how the you know the players need to be. He was very honest about what they're lacking. Uh, he was talking a lot about you know them not being smart enough in certain situations, and you know when knowing when to maybe make a little tactical foul or when to clear the ball. And he just know he's also you know he admitted in himself he doesn't think that his squad has the sort of nous that it needs to be able to play in the Premier League. So um, you know you can only wish him well, really, and I think he's going to be a top manager whatever happens to them this season. But uh, yeah, I fancy Fulham to go back down and. Um, Maybe to struggle a little bit more than I thought they would, just because defensively they aren't as good as I thought they would be. But um, I don't see them crumbling under the weight of expectation 
that, that some people do think they will. But the next team I want to speak about um, is Manchester United. They, they, they were humbled at home against Crystal Palace um, in, in a 3-1 defeat. Um, obviously, a game that we both watched. Um, obviously, a lot of talk leading up into this season, Owen, particularly yourself as well on the pod, and a lot of people in the media, and rightfully so, after United's sort of resurgence, if you like, post-lockdown. Everyone's saying, you know, they're going to be Auckland's blazing for a, a title challenge. Not to win the title, you were very specific. You think they could challenge for the league. Based on yesterday's performance, um, or sorry, I should say, based on Saturday's performance, do you still think they've got enough in them? Yeah, because you don't become a bad team overnight. It's this is pretty, it's pretty much the same side that went all post-lockdown undefeated. Um, it, was a, it was a type of game where post um, post lockdown, um, towards the end of the season, they won, and it's the same players. So surely they can't have got any worse, and they haven't got any worse. They, I, I think Oligana Shoska has to take questions as to why his team was so unprepared for the start of the season. I know they were in Europe. I know that they came back late for preseason, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but he knew the situation before before the season started so maybe he should have brought his players back earlier I know they wouldn't have had as much of a break but you know that's everyone's in the same situation I just it feel I just feel like they've prepared really badly for the start of the season I suppose it'd be the real starting point would be less talking about the actual game in itself um I think it would be fair to say wouldn't it I Palace played very well, so United were up against a good team anyway. They'd had a, they, Palace got a win last week as well when they weren't particularly good. It's the first time Palace have actually won uh, two games on the bounce um, of the opening fixture of a season. So it, it, it shows that they're steadily progressing. But it's definitely fair to say it could have been more than three for Palace, couldn't it? And I suppose that sort of backs your theory up of why, why were United so unprepared? Yeah, well, I mean, I know why they were unprepared. It's not so much why they were unprepared, but it's how um, being so unprepared, they, they, I mean, they were not even close to being at the races. I mean, um, had they been up against the top side in the league, had they been up against a side who finished in the top six last season, I genuinely think they could have lost 5-6-7-0. Like, I think they were that poor. They were, the passing was all over the place. They couldn't swim passes together. They couldn't um, break Palace's defence at any point. And they were so leaky at the back. I don't think this was a United performance that we're to expect this season. I just think they weren't ready for the start of the season. And I'm sure that they'll bounce back quickly from this. Uh, but it's where it's how well they bounce back and what what a bounce back United will actually look like this season. I think you're, the, the, the truth here is somewhere in between what, what, you're, what you're saying in terms of they haven't had enough time, fitness-wise isn't probably there, haven't had the time around each other to maybe implement some, some of the things that they, they would like to, and obviously that we will see them getting better in the next couple of weeks. But I also think, and it, it was something that I spoke about on on the pods, um, you know, prior to this season, at the end of last season, when we were you were talking about United are going to need some big game performers to to perform for them. Paul Pogba obviously being one of them. You look at his performance the other day, and he was it was awful. And I don't think he's the type of player who necessarily has one bad game and then he'll shake it off for next week. He might end up proving me wrong and. As everything goes on this pod, now that I've said it, you'll probably end up scoring a hat-trick next week. But he's he's the type of player that when the chips are down, and he, you know he, he he won't react. And um, a lot of what has been said in the media, a lot of what our fans are saying on social media is they need to be going out and getting signings. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. They're calling for heads and the, the you know the targeting of Woodward and 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 the club and, and rightfully so. But you know that all of this stuff is started again already within week one. Do you think that's any sort of area for concern? Because there was so much positivity, and it's just like in one result, it's all gone back the other way now, or so it would seem. Liverpool fans were worried about signings, and then somehow they brought in two players, despite um, Klopp saying beforehand they weren't like Chelsea, so they wouldn't be spending money. But you know, anyway, moving on from that, like United. United could still spend money and they could still bring players in. They they missed out on Bale, which kind of you kind of expected they would have done because he was always going to pick Spurs. 
You picked up Paul Pogba there, but to be honest with you, you could have picked out any Man United player. Um, but I do appreciate what you're saying about the fact that Paul Pogba um, is a big game player and he may not be able to shape up, sh- shake off a bad performance. Um, the other thing is, there seems to be this kind of thing that no one really seems to respect Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the media. Everyone kind of feels like United can't win anything under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I sort of get where it comes from because his football at times does seem a bit basic and he doesn't seem to be the most cultured football manager there is. But I do feel like if Ole Gunnar was English or Spanish, um, he would have a bit of a different respect within the media. It's just, it doesn't doesn't feel right the disrespect that Ole Gunnar gets within the media and in terms of how he is as a Man United manager. Because to be honest with you, he's been the best Man United manager since Fergie. I think I think he's he's come in and he's really got um, United settled. I think he's building a team there that could really start to build on, build for the future. Um, and I just think he, yeah, I do think there's a, there's a lack of respect shown towards him. And he's just not getting the backing by the board. The board aren't backing him by getting him the players he wants. If they do bring in players that aren't Sancho and clearly aren't going to be Bale, then he's, they're bringing in their third or fourth choices as well. So that's got to be a worry as well. Even if they do bring in players, they're not going to be the players that they actually wanted to bring in. I, I have to disagree with you there. Sorry, Owen. I think, uh, well, uh, on on the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer point, I should say, only because, I mean, I think the only reason the man's still in a job is is because he is who he is. I don't think your nationality. I think I don't think that comes into it. I think if he was from another nation and his name wasn't Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, he'd have been gone. The only reason he got given the job was because of who he is and his standing within the club. And the only reason he's been pardoned by the fans is because he is who he is. And I I think you're right. He's he doesn't. He, he's not a very cultured manager, and he doesn't have a game plan. And the, the he doesn't inspire any sort of confidence. When he loses, it's it's all over his face. In a post match interview, it's all over his face. He can't. He, he's not. I I don't I don't think he has the personality for that job. Personally, I don't think he has the 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 drive. And I and I certainly don't think he's been the best manager since Ferguson. I don't think there's a many that you can choose from. First off, it, that's absolute bullshit that he doesn't have the drive. Like, that's bullshit. Like, I am going to call you out on that. He clearly has the drive. He clearly loves the club. He clearly wants to succeed in the job. I, I, I have to disagree with that. I can take on board other points, but I think, it's, I think it would be completely wrong to suggest he doesn't have the drive to succeed. Like, what, 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 what is it that you mean by that? Okay, then. But your your suggestion is that he could win something. He, he wouldn't have had a better chance than he had last season to win things. And he failed on how many fronts? He could I he could still win trophies. He could still... I, I think this... When I say he's the best manager since Fergie, he's the first, he's the first manager to come into United that's actually looking like building a project. So they they sack him. They've got to restart again, and and they have to start building a project at Man United. They have to start not bringing in different managers all the time. They have to start bringing in players maybe who are a bit younger who will improve over time. They have to get rid of players who are a bit aged. And, and like Louis Van Gaal, Van Gaal was okay. He was a decent manager for Man United, but he was only there five minutes. Mourinho was clearly only ever wanting to be there um, for a short period of time. Shoska is the first manager to kind of have a project, have like ideas in place and try and implement them. But what we're, to, to what end? I can't see how many... How, this is his third season? Second and two and a half? In Martial, um, Greenwood and Rashford, he's got three young forwards who can only improve. He, in Dan James, he's got a young winner who, to be fair, I'm not certain will get to the right level, but... He's still he's still young. He's got uh, Bruno Fernandez, who is only going to get better. McTominay, who I've got doubts of as well, but again, he's still quite young and can still improve. Uh, Paul Pogba, Creston Marks, definitely, um, and then Henderson and goals. He's got a lot of players who could, in theory, be a mainstay of that Man United team for three, four years, 
and that that's a if not longer with some of them and that's that's helping to build a project and if you look at Mourinho's side you wouldn't have said that and if you looked at the Van Gaal side and stuff you wouldn't have said that and that's why that's what I'm saying about him starting to build a team um well, I completely get your criticism. He's lost one league game um, uh, um, since since we've come back from COVID. So I feel like everything's a bit premature. I, although I would be quite willing to um, take my words back if we're five games in and it's still looking poor, of course. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll revisit this in a few weeks' time and, and see where we are because I, 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 I agree with you. I don't think it's any sort of time to panic and I've even found it quite astonishing the U-turn of, of, you know, from positive, positivity to negativity and, and, and how quickly it's come about as a result of one loss. Um, but I've also supported the team and been in a similar situation myself as a fan, so I can understand the frustration. Um, the, the, the last game on Saturday then was Arsenal and West Ham. Um, Arsenal obviously tied up Aubameyang now on that big whopping 350 grand a week contract. Um, might end up being the best piece of business of the summer anyway, probably will be um, he's been an absolutely sensational form Arsenal however weren't on this occasion um, despite getting the 2-1 win over West Ham it was another performance where they managed to pretty much grind out a result um, against the West Ham side who looked the best they've looked for a good couple of weeks or I should you know certainly better than they did on the opening week uh, last weekend anyway and um, Mikel Antonio scored for us, uh, for West Ham, I should say. Uh, the man who I once said couldn't play as a striker, hasn't stopped scoring goals since. Um, did you catch this game? I, I didn't manage to watch it. Um, I didn't watch it in full, but I did watch parts of it. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, although 2-1 would make you think that it was quite a close game, Arsenal were fairly comfortable at times. Uh, West Ham were better, um, but I do kind of feel like they may be in a relegation battle again this season, if I'm honest. They've got a really, really tough start to the season. So obviously they lost on the opening week of the season and and the opening game of the season was the one which if they were going to win um out of the opening matches, that was the one they were going to win at home against Newcastle. Because they've now they've obviously they've lost to Arsenal, they then have Wolves, they've then got Leicester, they've then got Tottenham, they've then got Man City and then they then have Liverpool. So they could end up getting to November having lost every single match. And obviously at that point, even with those tough games, it's surely game over for Moyes already. Um so yeah, that, if I was a West Ham Ham fan, the alarm bells would be ridden. For Arsenal, this this going about their business. Uh, Mikel Arteta, who you also criticised, uh, seems to be doing the doing the business. And um, while I don't think they're going to be in a tighter race, their matches with Liverpool and um, Man City could be re- very interested to see how far they've actually come. So um, Arsenal have um, next up. They have um, Liverpool away on Monday Night Football, and that's going to be when you get to see how far Mikel Arteta is actually taking this Arsenal side. But so far, from the start of the season, they've done nothing special, but they're going about their business well. And in Lacazette and Abanian, they look like they've got two very good attacking threats. Yeah, you can't help but commend Arteta for what he's done so far. And I, the first one to say I was critical about his appointment, had some doubts about him. Um, he's not playing the Arsenal way. I think uh, most Arsenal fans would agree with me when you say that. You know, It's not the fluid, open football that you know, we've always... Um, traditionally associated with Arsenal anyway um, but it's winning football they've won trophies they grind out results and they're getting wins when they are not playing well which is always a good omen and you would have to fancy Arsenal to get into the top four um, this season yeah right right now I definitely would um, right now I would probably I'd have them finishing above uh, Man United and Tottenham um, maybe not um, Liverpool or Man City but yeah Right, going by how how they start the season, I I would have them finishing the top four for sure. But we shall see. As you say, it's only two games in. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you. And I, to be honest with you, I think maybe Arsenal's solidity, particularly at the back and as a team, I think they defend better as a team than 
um, than, than Chelsea have so far from, from what we've seen anyway um, they seem to have a better shape and seem to play a little bit more narrow and tighter and they're working harder anyway certainly in all areas of the pitch than they were before and maybe even Man United so yeah I, I quite fancy Arsenal to finish in the, in the top four and um, another team which I finished the fancy in the top four or maybe even potentially higher than that we wait to see is uh, Arsenal's North London neighbours uh, Tottenham Hotspur the return of Gareth Bale now confirmed as well. I don't think we actually... Had he signed last week when we recorded? I don't think he had, did he? Owen's got his mouth full, by the way, guys, If you, in case you hear that on the pod. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Gareth Bale yeah, returns to Spurs, uh, obviously on loan from Real Madrid, um, after what has been basically two years of be, being treated atrociously over in Spain. The uh, football's most famous golfer has returned to, to British shores. I think we're all delighted to really to, to hear that news. I'm no Spurs fan. Obviously, I'm Welsh. I'm a Cardiff boy. Um, I'm a massive fan of Gareth Bale. And it'll be nice to see him playing football again. But what a mouthwatering prospect, him, Son and Kane up front. Oh, right, mate. It's, um, if they can get them all firing, that's truly a team that can be challenging, as you say, for the top four. Son scored four against Southampton in the 5-2 win, all um, assisted by Harry Kane. So now they have to find a way in which Bale can also fit into that system. Um, because clearly Son and Kane know how to play with each other. I I saw a great bit um, at the end of this game. Um, Son was being interviewed. And um, he, get, he got, obviously, he got the Man of the Match award. But Mourinho comes up during the interview and goes, oh, for me, Harry Kane's the Man of the Match. <laughs> and then they, they ask some like, oh, do you agree? And Son's like, well... To be fair, yes, he gave me, he assisted all four goals for me and then he scored. So, yeah, I agree. He should be man of the match. And I think that's what a humble footballer. I don't think many, even even if he was just being polite, I don't think many footballers would would have said that. No, but, and he, but he's a terrific talent, isn't he? He's got nobody's really to be feeling jealous of. He's a phenomenal talent. And I don't. I think you can quite easily fit him, Kane and Bale in the same size. And that, that prospect is frightening. Um I think if Gareth Bale comes in and he stays fit, you potentially, potentially getting the best player in the league, maybe. It, it depends. If, if Gareth Bale turns up, he can win football matches on his own. There's no doubt about that. And you put in Kane's quality and Son as well. Fantastic. And they just blew Southampton away. Southampton went 1-0 up in the game as well. But Spurs finally showed their quality, I think, um, for the first time under Jose Mourinho. You can kind of see where he's going. Doherty had a good game. Hoiberg, you can see these players just, and even last week to, to some respect, they're just going to toughen Spurs up a little bit in some areas, um, and that actually paid dividends against Southampton Danny Ings was on form again for Southampton uh, you know, I'll always fly the flag for, for my man Danny, and he scored two brilliant goals for them, but yeah, it just, just wasn't enough, Spurs organised, and again, like you said, Kane and Son, absolutely lethal at the other end, Um so yeah, we just have to wait and see what what Bale, what Bale brings. I hope you don't buy a Spurs shirt though. I was outraged when you suggested that the other day, Owen. Um, I I was thinking once uh, once we're allowed out in public and stuff, I'll come down to Cardiff and we'll do a podcast special on video and I'll wear a Spurs shirt with nine Bale on the back. Yeah, so I've known Owen for I don't know how many years now, many years, well over a decade, well over a decade, and um. That's the first time I've ever heard him. He tried to claim that he has some association with the Spurs now, but this has only just occurred miraculously as Gareth Bale's return to Spurs. So I don't know where he's getting this from, but uh, yeah. I'll let you decide. I'll let you, the, the listeners, decide what you want to think about that. I'd I'd like to point out that I get to edit this podcast, so anytime you talk shit about me, I'll just take it out. (laughs) Right, we'll move on from that one. The next game was Newcastle versus Brighton. Brighton bounced back uh, after um, a spirited performance against Chelsea last week when they lost 3-1. They bounced back with a brilliant uh, away victory at Newcastle, um, 3-0. I I managed to catch the second half of this game. I was outraged last week when they lost to Chelsea. I thought Brighton were brilliant. I thought they played really good football. Um, and Tarek Lamptey, I called him Eric Lamptey last week, as Owen pointed out to me before we came on, on here. So Tarek Lamptey, again, 
Um, looks like he could be an absolute star playing down on that, on that right wing back row for Brighton. Um, but yeah, another comfortable, well, a 3 0 victory at, at Newcastle. And but was it, did it get sending off towards the end of the game, wasn't it? You reminded me. It was all a bit hazy for me. Yeah, in the, 80, in the 89th minute, um, uh, Bishuma, um, he, I don't really 100% say what he was trying to do, if I'm completely honest, but he, um, he just decided to back heel the Newcastle player in the face. Yeah, it was early bath. Get in the showers before everybody else. He's got his bonuses. Yeah, it was it was just a strange, strange, strange sending off. Um, I think, to be honest with you, I think he flicks his leg up and he just doesn't realise the Newcastle players there. But it was dangerous. It was obviously, it was a definite red card. He could genuinely have put a stud in his eye and blinded the man. So it was just stupid. Um, I, as I touched on him, uh, uh, Tarek Lamptey, what, 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 what do you think? Could he be a star? Have you been impressed? Yeah, well... Everyone's been talking him up massively. Um, he's super fast. He's super um, skillful on the ball. Um, the like I said, like I said last week, the only thing that slightly concerns me is if you've got players who are also um, super fast on the ball defensively, if they can have him on toast. But we shall see over time. Um, but yeah, he's definitely started very well, hasn't he? Um, it kind of makes you wonder whether Chelsea should have kept him. Yeah, it would have been tough for him to get in, considering they got Reese James there now as well, and uh, you know he's a youngster, maybe slight, just slightly older than Lamptey. But yeah, it does it does make you wonder what um what sort of other other unearthed James Chelsea have got in that academy. Um, if you're going to listen to Frank Lampard, you won't be seeing him in a Chelsea shirt anytime soon. I can guarantee you of that. And while we speak about uh, Frank Lampard and Chelsea, I suppose it'd be quite poignant to move on to the next game, which was. Um, Chelsea losing 2-0 at home to uh, the mighty Liverpool. Um, obviously, we, we, we both watched this game. Um, again, in the first half, um, anybody who watched would, would have seen, it was a fairly even contest. Chelsea, um, again, they still didn't have all of their stars uh, or their new summer signings, I should say. Um, ben Chilwell, Thiago Silva, Hakim Ziyech, uh, yet to feature in a Chelsea shirt. Um, not sure how much of a difference they would have made to the result. Chelsea, as I said in the first half, fairly strong. Um, not quite toe-to-toe with Liverpool. I don't think they ever really put Liverpool in a situation where they had to panic. Um, and then just before the end of the first half, Andreas Christiansen brought down Sadio Mane um, with, with a last-man challenge. I, I thought, shockingly at the time, the ref only produced a yellow card. VAR then went and checked it. Asked the referee to have a look, and then he actually corrected his own decision and produced a red card. Do you think that was a that was a fair decision? Oh, right. it was a hundred percent a red card, um, no doubt about it. Um, obviously, the referee for maybe at the time that Kepa was getting to, I kind of feel with the how good Kepa is, then I don't even think that should be taken into account because even if Kepa had got to, he probably would have dropped it. So, <laughs> um, well, he was outside the box as well, wasn't he? So he'd have had to boot it or something as well. And Manny's got that pace, but essentially, Christiansen rugby tackled him, didn't he? He was arms around the player. It, it was as bad as it gets, pretty much. But I mean, if it was Sadio Mane running in front of you and your goalkeeper or keeper, I should say, coming out, you'd probably uh, panic and make a rash decision too. And he did, and. It changed the complete complexion of the game in the second half then. Liverpool brought Thiago on for his debut at half-time and it became a really uh, men, boys versus men affair, uh, you'd have to say. Um, Liverpool dominated possession. Sadio Mane scored a good goal off a good team move and then, as you say, Kepa, another absolute howler, um, basically gifted Sadio Mane the second goal and, and, it, and it was done and dusted then. But um, were you surprised at how comfortable it sort of was for Liverpool throughout the game? Uh, well, I'd be lying if I said yeah, because beforehand, I mean, I was being slightly cheeky when I said Chelsea would win, but beforehand I did expect a good entertaining match. Um, I don't mean this in a cheeky way, but I actually got pretty bored watching this game because I felt the first half never really came to life. And then the second half, Liverpool scored early and Chelsea couldn't lay a glove on them. Chelsea couldn't get near them. Liverpool... Liverpool just won this game really comfortably. 
even though it was only 2-0, it was just so comfortable for them. There was only ever going to be one winner um, after the sending off, if I'm honest. But to manage to get those two goals really quickly, it just, it just cooled the game off. And yeah, I think um, I was a little bit concerned um, before the season started because Liverpool obviously won the league at such a canter. Post-lockdown, they didn't really need to ever get going. And the first week of the season, obviously, they were tested by Leeds and they conceded three goals. And at that point, I was a little bit like um, concerned whether maybe we wouldn't see the same Liverpool side as we saw last season. But this was their first test and they passed it so comfortably that, um, yeah, it looked like the same Liverpool side that we saw for most of last season. Yeah, I think that's where I've picked up uh, on a lot of. And obviously, Thiago and Yotta, I think, coming in. I think Liverpool not signing anybody was giving a lot of opposition fans a lot of hope. Maybe, and I mean, it panicked me. I hope when you spoke about this on the pod. And I think maybe even up until this pod, I was still in doubt about his signing anybody. Obviously, since last week, I can confirm that, you know, they, they, they've signed Thiago and they've got Diogo Yotta from Wolves. The whole atmosphere around the club has changed again. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited to see Yotta, but obviously Thiago coming in is just I I can't I can't really describe it. You know, we we've bought an established world class player, and his introduction. I think you were right when when he came on against Chelsea in in that second half. The game was dead because Liverpool with Fabinho playing at centre half as well, essentially at five centre midfielders on the pitch, and Chelsea just just could not touch the ball it, it, we passed them into submission and um, yeah the other point you're saying there about how comfortable it was I think Liverpool may have led some people into a false sense of security after the, you know uh, the post lockdown games and like you said it was born out of the fact that they didn't have to try they, they won the league in February so yeah I, I'm in in a way is kind of glad that it was is sort of being misleading because I think like as you say I think a lot of teams now um, would have watched that uh, performance on the weekend and thought oh god you know they they're gonna be they're gonna be at it again this season and um, yeah I I was just so impressed I I expected a much tougher fixture than what we had and you know ascending off does make a massive difference in every game but Chelsea they just didn't even have it in them I think even if they you know, parking the bus as they did, they didn't have a chance of winning that game. Game, as you say, um, and yeah, it it was just pleasing to see from a Liverpool fans' perspective. Anyway, what one sorry, one thing I kind of wanted to add on that was that I thought it was interesting. Right, so um, we're going to more a bit later, but um, Hibs played Rangers and Hibs um, attacked Rangers, and the reason why I bring that up is Rangers like transfer budget and the amount of money Rangers could spend is a million times more than what Hibs can spend. And what I'm saying here is Chelsea have spent so much money and they've spent more than Liverpool. And even whether, even if it's marginal, that they should be on the same level in terms of finances um, and in terms of players they can bring in, etc, etc. So to sit back and park the bus at home against a side that, Really, in terms of financially, you should be on the same footing as them. So, for me, it's um, it's a lack of faith in your own players from Frank Lampard to play so defensively against a side which really he sh- he should be hoping to compete with for the title. Um, so like that for me puts question marks on Frank Lampard and his trust in his own players. Well, he picked the odds. Starting lineup as well. He changed the formation um, from the one that he played against Brighton. He played um, three in the midfield: Jorginho, Kante, and Kovacic. Um, and I think basically to try and keep the ball better in that part of the part in area. And he put Havertz and Mount out wide. And these are players who want to also play in those central areas. So they didn't have any pace out wide, and they are not two players who want to be going back. And I mean, you're playing against Liverpool. 
two of the biggest threats that they pose are their right back and their left back, Trent and Robertson. You have to have players who are going to run up and down and with those players as well, otherwise you're going to get overrun. His selection just wasn't right. I think they were hoping Werner was going to be able to score against us on the counter-attack. And when it seemed like that wasn't going to happen, they didn't have any other alternatives. don't think you can be too um, critical of Kai Havertz, but I haven't seen anything from him in the first two games. Um, and I know I, he is a brilliant player. I watched him in the Bundesliga. I'm sure he's going to end up turning Trump's up. But maybe you just don't play him in that game. Maybe a more experienced manager would have put in, you play Giroud and you go long. Or you know, If you're going to try something different, at least play an experienced player who you know what you're going to get from. You, you know what I mean? It, maybe he's just lacking that sort of now. Whereas Liverpool, on the other hand, I was surprised Thiago was even in the squad. And then as soon as the man we have the man advantage, he took off Henderson and he put Thiago on because he knew how much of the ball we were going to get. And it just worked to perfection. They were never going to get the ball when that man was on the pitch with a man advantage. It just kept it ticking over. So it's those tactical bits. And maybe it just comes with experience, you know, that maybe Frank will end up working out. You know what I mean? But um, I think they could have done better considering the circumstance. I think you're right. Uh, sorry, just before we kind of move on from this match, do you mind if I ask you then what you make of the Kepa situation? Do you think that this is it for Kepa and his Chelsea career is done? Yes, I believe they've signed the keeper, Mendy, haven't they? Or they're, 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 in, they're in talks. Yeah, yeah Mendy I from can't Rennes say I know France. the player, can't say I've watched him, I don't know. He's, he's from the same club as Petr Cech. That's all I do know. He was mentioned on, match day, on the match game anyway. Um... Yeah, Kepa, where'd you start? Um, the difficulty with a player in this situation is he's on an astronomical wage, he came in for an astronomical fee, and his confidence is completely and utterly blown. And Chelsea find themselves with, um, I think he's still the world's most expensive goalkeeper, isn't he? He is. I mean, they're not going to be able to shift him. So maybe bringing in I, I think if you bring in a keeper you're essentially saying to your, your guy who's there at the moment you're done and I don't think keeping him around will do him any favours but like I said who's going to be able to pay him and, and, and afford his wages I really don't know but I guess I guess the only thing you can do is try and send him out on loan and, and try and subsidise his wages because at least you're getting him out of the dressing room so so he's not going to be a negative influence. Yeah, I mean, he could maybe go back to Spain. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that, but I think he was signed at a time where um, Edison had already been at Manchester City um, for a season. Liverpool had just bought Allison. Um, I think Chelsea would just think, oh, we need to go out and get a top, top class keeper, and maybe this boy was just never who they scouted, who they thought they scouted. You, you just don't know. I obviously feel sorry for goalkeepers because you make, you make a couple of mistakes as a goalkeeper. There's no hiding place and it's very difficult to come back from that. And psychologically, the boy is obviously in tatters. He's, he's the same goalkeeper though that refused to be substituted. Yeah, and he went and won the penalty shootout for him in that game as well, didn't he? So, you know, it, I feel sorry for, I do feel sorry for him, you know, psychologically, I think there's a lot to be said for a footballer and how damaging um, your, your on-field performances can be with everything that goes hand in hand with your life. I know it's a slightly off topic, but I was reading a, a piece on Jordan Ibe today, um, who, who signed for Derby from, from Bournemouth, he, he signed for Bournemouth from Liverpool for 15 million. At the time, I remember being quite um, surprised because he was... Uh, an academy prodigy came through with the academy at Liverpool with uh, Raheem Sterling. Um, he had a couple of good seasons with Brandon Rogers, and he, he, you know, he played for Jurgen Klopp in his first season. And the boy's career has just gone so south from there. Um, and you know, the reason he basically came out and said he wasn't performing at Bournemouth is because he's really been struggling with issues around um, depression and anxiety and things like that as well. So you never know what's going on behind the scenes in somebody's mind or in their in their actual personal life and what how it manifests itself on the pitch then as well. So I I did kind of spare a thought for Kepa when I after I read that because it you know it shows no matter how good you are on no matter how much promise you have you know you're always human. Um, and, and things can affect your performance, which is sometimes out of your control. So, yeah, I know that was a bit of a deep one. Might have got, you know, might have a bit of a side tangent, but you always got to try and consider these things 
when players are going through a difficult time. And like I said, Kepper is obviously somebody who his confidence is in bits and he could probably do with maybe going to another country and having a fresh start. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I I kind of, that's why I don't really like to slag players off massively um, because at the end of the day, you know that there is quality somewhere with Kepa. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. He's still been again in the Spain squad. You know, you know, he was a £75 million goalkeeper and that was for a reason. Maybe he wasn't always worth that fee, but he certainly had performances that merited that at some point in his career and it, obviously he can he can reignite that but maybe at Chelsea the thing is with Chelsea they want to win today they haven't got time for tomorrow they can't be asked for future planning they tried that last season they finished fourth and they've already scrapped it they want to buy and they want success now and that's just the way that football club works and if you ain't you know, if you're the the uh, the cog or the gear in the machine that isn't working, then they'll take you straight out and put another seventy million pounds winning if they have to because they have that resource. And I think Frank Frank Lampard's mentality is that now. Um, he's come out and said about not wanting to use academy players and things like that. They're all about winning, being number one, this, this, and that. You know that maybe even that dressing room isn't nice to be in. You just don't know. You you never know. But anyway, that's enough on them. Um, Let's move on. The last game on the, the Sunday fixtures then was Leicester versus Burnley. Um, Leicester, strong start to the season again. 4-2 win over Burnley after a convincing win over West Brom last week. Can't say I watched this one, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have seen the highlights. Brendan Rodgers starting this season strongly, much like he did last season. The question is, can they, can they keep it going the whole way this year? Yeah, I mean, like... Like you said, I didn't watch it either, but um, by all accounts, Harvey Barnes played really well again. Um, Leicester scoring full, looking solid, sit top of the league. Um, They're actually top of the league for the first time since they won the league back in 2016. Um, So yeah, so a very good start to the season. Brendan Rodgers at the moment proving that he was right to leave Celtic. Um, One... One thing I kind of wanted to mention on Leicester, obviously they they conceded two at the weekend, and defensively they probably need another defender, um, and they're currently being very linked very strongly with a Korean defender called Kim Min Jae. For me, he's he's someone who because I follow it, a lot of Asian football, he's someone that um, I've wanted to sign for a top European club for a long time. I really rate him as a defender. Uh, he's a big, strong centre-half. He's the kind of centre-half that you would expect to play in the English Premier League. He's maybe a bit like a Wes Morgan was five years ago. So he would be, I think, a very good signing for them. So that's definitely one to look out for. I'll definitely be keeping my eyes peeled. Um, yeah, I think they can do it. I I, I think Leicester can, can do it. I think they would have learned a lot from last season. But I think what they... What you have to bear in mind is, you know, the likes of Arsenal, the likes of Spurs, who weren't there last season, will be back up later this season. Um, or certainly looks like it. So it'll be interesting to see if Leicester can mix it with them. Um, Monday's fixtures then. Uh, Villa and Sheffield United. Villa took a 1-0 uh, victory there. Sheffield United struggling uh, at the beginning of this season. As you predicted, Owen, in fairness to you, you did say that you th- that they would uh, struggle a lot more this season. Did you watch that game? Again, I can't say that I watched it. I've only, I've only seen the highlights. Um, not that it was a corker of a game anyway at 1-0. But yeah, can you shed any light on it? Yeah, so I, I watched it. Um, Villa weren't really spectacular, if I'm honest. It was a pretty standard kind of game. Sheffield United had a player sent off in the first half. Um, it was similar to the Christian one in the Chelsea-Liverpool game. Just took the boy out Um when he was going through on goal, uh, it was Ollie Watkins he took out, and it was the same kind of thing. Was was Ramsdale going to get there before Ollie Watkins? The referee in VAR decided he wasn't, and he got sent off. Um, it meant basically Sheffield United just spent the whole um, second half with eleven players. Well, sorry, with ten players behind the ball, and Villa had to find a way around it. And for large periods, it didn't look like Villa were going to find a way around it. That um, John McGinn, who was pushed too far forward, so he wasn't able to affect the game. They couldn't really put crosses into the box because that's not really Ollie Watkins' game. 
Jack Grealish was getting marked by two players. Most of the time he touched the ball. Um, but then they, they brought off um, Hulihan, um, Connor Hulihan, um, and they brought on um, Davis. And from the result in corner, um, they scored. And once they scored, they they kind of took control of the match. And they probably could have got a second. Jack Grealish had a decent shot. And um, overall, Villa were more than deserved winners. I'm still worried whether they're still going to be fighting relegation again this season. Yeah, well, they got Bertrand Traore as well. Um, did he make an appearance or has he had to come in? No, he was... Um, He's come in, he was in the stand, he was he had his mask on in the stand, but no, he wasn't in the match day squad. Yeah, he's a good player anyway, I think he'll add something to that, definitely add something to that attack. So one thing I just wanted to mention actually as well was Ethan Ampadu came on um, after half an hour um, when Sheffield United realised they needed an extra defender and he had a very solid debut. Always keep your eyes peeled for the Welsh boys, good lad. That's what it's all about. And the other game on the Monday fixture then before we uh, we move off of the Premier League. Finished with uh, Manchester City getting a 3-1 win over Wolves. Um, I half-watched this. I had it on in the background. I was doing some other bits. Yeah, it was fairly comfortable for Manchester City. I thought Wolves would probably make a little bit more of a fist of it than they did. Gabriel Jesus' goal, which was the third goal of the game, um... Came. It was just one of those like kick, kick in the teeth moments for Wolves. I think they had they they they'd equalised or they they pulled one back uh, to make it two one. Um, but yeah, like I said, that third goal was really a sucker punch goal, and, and maybe Wolves. I don't think they did enough in the game to deserve to deserve anything more than what they got anyway. Man City, um, very systematic. Will get better as well. Um, I think I suppose the opposite to Manchester United in terms of they obviously got their preparation absolutely spot on. People look fresh. De Bruyne was bang at it. Sterling was bang at it. You know the usual mob doing the usual things. So it'll be interesting if they can keep people fit this season. Man City, how ruthless they can be because again, as as with Liverpool, you know Man City now this will be the fourth season. Um, where they'll be pushing you know, 80 to 90 points, I, I would imagine. And it'll be interesting to see if they can keep it going all season. Wolves did have their chances and they were a bit wasteful in front of goal. And it could have been a bit more interesting had they got their, got up to 2-1 a wee bit earlier in the match because it was nearly 80 minutes on the clock when Jimenez scored. So yeah, so that was a bit of a shame. But yeah, Man City were professional. They were, it was a little bit, um, like I said, with Liverpool-Chelsea, they kind of didn't really need to get out of first gear, did Man City. Um, they As all Wolves had their chances, they weren't actually ever overly stretched in this match. And when Imanez did score and Wolves looked like they maybe could get an equaliser, Man City just upped it a little bit and just closed the game out. Gabriel Jesus, as you said, scored. He scored literally with almost the last kick of the game. They were running the ball into the corner flag and I think he knew it was right at the end of the game so he just took a pot shot and somehow it went in. Uh, that's it now for, for Premier League football. It's, it's your favourite part of the show, Owen. It's the, the part of the show where we get to discuss all things Scottish football. Oh, you know, Joe, I love the whole show. I, I love talking English football too. But yeah. Uh, there's a special there's a special glint in your eyes though when this, uh, when this topic comes up. It's just... The passion's just ignited. I can see it in, you know, I can see it there in your eyes. It's even more of a glint in my eye than normal with him sitting third in the league and only four points off the top. Well, yeah, that's uh, what we selected for our game of the week this week in Scotland was actually the the Hibs and Rangers draw, wasn't it? So before we go into that, though, I think you should maybe give the listeners a little rundown of the uh, of the scores and uh, we'll discuss a little bit more in depth about our, our game of the week before we wrap up. Alright then, I will do exactly that then. So we'll start at the champion Celtic. So Celtic won 3-2 at Livingston. This was a game in which they went 1-0 down early on, but they got back into it. Um, they got it to 3-1. And then late on, late on, Cihano, um, the Livingston player, scored a lovely 25-yarder um, to make it interesting. But yeah, look, Celtic deserved to win this match and... They, it was probably a bit more comfortable than the 3 2 is out suggests. Uh, Dungeon United, they beat St. Mirren 2 1. 
Uh, Lawrence Shanklin's back in the team, starting for the first time since the first week of the season because of injury. And he scored a lovely volley. Thanks, Sandy Zidane in the Champions League final at Hampden. And it was a little bit like that. Um, so, yeah, no, that was a very good game and well done, Dungeon United getting a win. Um, then it was Kilmarnock, Hamilton, and Kilmarnock won this game 2 1. Um, and yeah, they were the better team throughout, really. And Hamilton are a little bit of a worry at the moment whether they're going to manage to stay in the league. They're currently sitting second bottom. We've then got St Johnston, Ross County, and Ross County won this game away in Perth, and this was a crack and result for um, and this was a crack and result for Ross County, who now sit fifth in the league. But if I'm honest, um, St Johnston would be very disappointed because Ross County were second best pretty much throughout, but managed to get the goal that won the match. So all credit to them for winning it. And the last match of the week. Um, before we move on to Hibs Rangers was Motherwell um, away at Aberdeen. Both of these sides will be in European action this week um, and this was a very, very poor performance from um, Aberdeen and Joe Lewis had a few absolute meltdowns in this match and Motherwell won 3-0. Um, so yeah, it wasn't great preparation for Aberdeen who are going to be facing um, Sport in Lisbon next. Um, but yeah, it was all around a pretty entertaining week in Scottish football. Probably the most entertaining there's been um, this season so far on round day. One thing, Joe, I wanted to say before we moved on was, you know that Aberdeen have sport in Lisbon on the, in the week in the Europa League? Well, um, there's been a massive outbreak of COVID within the sport in Lisbon side. So um, if the tie can't go ahead, then it's given to Aberdeen. And but if so, if... If Sporting Lisbon have 13 players available, uh, one having to be a goalkeeper, then the tie has to be played. So although obviously on paper Sporting Lisbon should beat Aberdeen comfortably, somehow Aberdeen might actually get through in this tie. So it's definitely one to keep an eye on. So yeah, whilst you're on this subject of COVID um, ruining football, as we have been for months and months, um, there's fixtures going on in the League Cup tonight in England and Leighton Orient and Tottenham have actually had to postpone their fixture due to an outbreak of uh, uh, of COVID in the Leighton Orient fixture. Um, so that's pretty disappointing. So yeah, I think, um, as you say, Owen, I know it's obviously Europa League, completely different, but all ties in I think it's probably something we can expect to see a bit more of over the coming weeks um, in terms of having fixtures postponed unfortunately due to Covid restrictions sorry but I think because of um, how congested the fixture list is I think that the the tie has to be they can't replay ties I think that's the issue so therefore the club that has to pull out because of Covid automatically lose the match well I mean you know you had Spurs who have played on Sunday and now they're playing today on Tuesday they've had you know a day turnaround so this is going to happen for a lot of clubs and I think you can pretty much expect to see whoever you support you can probably much expect to see your club playing twice a week for the rest of the season which is great for us but for the players and the clubs and in terms of how you rotate and keep things fresh it must be a nightmare um, so yeah, getting back to Scottish football anyway, Rangers and Hibs, the game we haven't discussed yet. Um, I've watched it in some depth, I, in some detail. I haven't watched the entire game, um, but I, I have watched the goals and I've watched extended highlights. Um, I was impressed, very impressed again by Rangers, considering they were the away side. The Hibs, who, as you say, Owen, have had a very, very strong start to the season um, and rightfully sit in third place. Um, if probably if it wasn't for a couple of weeks ago and they had that little lull of not scoring so much, you never know, they may have even been higher up in the table. Um, saying that, Rangers hadn't conceded a goal going into the game, first team, and Hibs were the, the first to draw blood in the game after Rangers, I think it's fair to say, started the stronger of the sides and Hibs sort of grew into the game as it went. Um, I can't, you'll have to remind me of the goal scorers. Um, was it Nesbitt who had the volley as well, which almost, it took a, it was quite a good save from um, McLaughlin. Uh, they, yeah, so it was an impre- that there was that, the volley early on from Hibbs. Then, of course, they scored. Rangers retaliated. Uh, Morelos, fairly fortunate goal in some sense. Sloppy ball into the box. 
Kind of controlled it and finished it at the near post. Hibbs can maybe be a little bit disappointed with that defending. You may disagree with me in a moment. Um, second goal for Rangers was pure class. Tavernier, straight ball into our field's feet. Lovely one too with Haji in the box. I don't think there's much you could have done about that in terms of defending. And our field tucked it away. And then a, a fairly contentious equalising goal for Hibs um, wouldn't say it was undeserved though because they were they, they remained in the game throughout um, but it, it, it was an offside ball initially um, to the to the Hibs front man who then crossed in a ball who I think to uh, was it Doige the Welsh boy yeah so Doige uh, scored the second for Hibs uh, it was a header quite a thumping header as well um, from just inside the six yard box but I think it was fairly contentious how he managed to gain the leverage and height for that header. Owen uh, has a different opinion. What was your account of the game? All right, well, yeah, first off, yeah, obviously Hibs went ahead. Um, Morella's got um, that, as you say, that goal. Um, there was a couple of spats between the match. There was a few um, dodgy free kicks. Rangers got a lot of very soft free kicks in this match. Um, both the Hibs central defenders got booked within a minute of each other. One for Ryan Porch has got booked for off and off the ball instant with Morales. But you feel like if you breathe too much on Morales, he'll try and get you sent off. Um, and then um, Paul Hanlon um, tried to block off um, Hadji. And Hadji, who's meant to be this tough remaining kid, also went back down like a bag of tatties. Basically, I feel like the Rangers team were made of glass over the, on the weekend. Um, which is strange for a team that try, pretends to be tough and stuff. So, you know, never mind, eh? We go on. Um, I would also, to show that I am being neutral and not just being biased, I agree. Rangers' second goal was very good. So some of their one-touch passing throughout this um, match was very good, in fact. And then, yeah, and then Christian Deutsch um, got that bit of luck and got the equaliser. Uh, Boy was definitely offside um though on the bbc they drew the line and they drew the line a group three inches ahead of where the actual line should have been but even taking that into account it was maybe slightly offside but within within millimeters i would say um even though boyd exploded in disgust at the whole thing but as for chris boyd well that's that's another subject altogether um i i actually don't think there was a push at all um i've I've seen pretty much every time anyone goes for a header, that's how people go for a header in Scottish football. Um, I I appreciate that maybe VAR disallows it, but VAR, but isn't we don't have VAR in Scotland, and there would have been quite a few decisions during the match yesterday that may have had a different outcome had there been VAR. Uh, there was a, f- a fair few um, pushes in the box that weren't pulled up. I think, to be honest with you, I think maybe, I, I agree with you, I don't think Porteous would have, should have been sent off for the elbow on Hadji, but you've seen them given, definitely seen them given, and I do think, I mean, as you said, it's the nature of the game in Scotland and stuff, I, it would have taken a big man to disallow the goal. But I, I, my first reaction when I seen it was he's pushed him to, to win that header cleanly. But listen, he was in the right position. I don't think there's any luck about that. I think it was just that's how the game is played. And if that's how the game is ref and is consistent, then I suppose there's no issues. But I think if you if that's in the Premier League or the Champions League, that doesn't that doesn't stand. Uh, one other thing at the end of the game, quite a few players refused to shake hands with Ryan Portress, which to be honest with you shows the class at that football club um apparently after the game uh James Tavernier refused to shake um Ryan Portress's hand so Ryan Portress was like you're a bad loser mate and Stephen Gerrard commented on this afterwards and he said oh this is the same Ryan Portress that got sent off last season against us because he put in a dreadful challenge because his team were losing 3-0 I would also like to point out to Stephen Gerrard, this is the same James Tavernier who refused to accept a loser's medal in a Scottish Cup final. So, you know, swings and roundabouts, mate. You've had that unloaded. I like it. Um, yeah, so other, the other news, I suppose, before we wrap up in Scotland was um, uh, Aberdeen and Celtic. I hope I'm not re-reporting old news, but I, this is I, I'm pretty well-sourced 
that they've been basically fined thirty grand a piece for their um, for their players uh, breaching the COVID nineteen rules. So eight Aberdeen team members uh, visited a bar and contracted the virus, and that caused the postponement of three fixtures. Um, and Celtic's Bolly Bollingoli, he went to Spain and uh, and then he came back and played against Kilmarnock. It is Bolly Bollingoli, isn't it? Yeah, came back and played against Kilmarnock without entering quarantine. A selfish prick. So um, rightfully so. I hope that's him stumping up that thirty grand as well. But yeah, both of those clubs have been uh, have been fined for their actions there. And um, yeah, I suppose before we round up for the week, we normally do a good news roundup. But Owen wanted to switch it up a little bit this week and just report on um, on how some of our fellow uh, British footballers are doing on the continent because we've got a few now. Um, to name a few, Jaden Sancho, Alan Ramsey, uh, and obviously Birmingham City legend Jude Bellingham. Oh, it must be going on. Yeah, so I wanted to just have a wee bit of a roundup because the other day I was just thinking, oh, I wonder how so and so's doing. So I thought, oh, I'll give you a bit of a roundup then. So Aaron Ramsey, um, Aaron Ramsey struggled a lot to get game times last season at Juventus, partly because of injury and partly just because he couldn't get form. Um, but he started the season really well, playing the full 90 minutes and got himself an assist for an elder goal um, and in a 3 win over Sampdoria in the opening match of the Serie A season. Unfortunately, the other Welshman were reporting on Rabbi Montongo. Matondo, not Montongo, Matondo. Um, had an absolute... I knew you were going to correct me. I was just waiting. I think you were confusing Cabango and Matondo. I think you just threw the two together there. <laughs> I think I probably did to be fair um, but he had a bit of a nightmare um, and he played 65 minutes as his side lost 8-0 to Bayern Munich so the lesser about that the better um, then the English stars uh, making a name for themselves in Germany uh, Jaden Sancho and Bellingham um, they both played um, for Dortmund as Dortmund won 3-0 against Mütchen Gluten Gladbach which is fun to say and fun to spell and a Scottish boy who's um, playing out in Portugal, uh, Ryan Gould, he, he went to sport in Lisbon quite a few years ago on a big transfer and a lot was expected of him. He's not completely delivered, but he is back in the Portuguese top flight. Um, but um, his side uh, for East lost 2-0 on the opening week of the season. Uh, another good week worth of football in the bag. Um, we haven't looked ahead at next week's fixtures yet. We normally do our predictions and stuff, but it seems we've been con- recording for quite a while. I think we're going to park it for, for this week. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to us. Um, any feedback, as always, is always welcomed. Give us a share, give us a like, spread the love. Yeah, thank you very much and keep listening. Goodbye. Did you see that ludicrous display last night? The champion handball is in clearly. And he tee up someone in red. And it goes to one. It's a one trap. Ah!